0: Um another I had something. Why did I even interject? That's what I always say. I only have room for one thought at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous Wood Forest in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 161 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about
1: playing chaotic good characters. But first, the rogue traders get their hands dirty in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, Robin Hood outfoxes the Sheriff of Nottingham in the Character Creation Forge. So first up, we've got a short message from one of the other shows on the Don't Split the Podcast Network. Uh, Here's Lisa Chen from Behold Her. I'm Lisa Chen, and I host Behold Her, a monthly podcast that shines a spotlight on women in the world of tabletop games. There are so many women to behold in this amazing hobby, and our experiences as female gamers are as diverse as we are as individuals. Through one-on-one interviews, audio essays, and panel discussions, all centered around a monthly theme, the guests on Behold Her share their unique stories as players, game masters, designers, artists, organizers, and so much more. Their words are inspiring, uplifting, and informative. Check out Behold Her Podcast wherever podcasts are found or visit BeholdHerPodcast.com. And we're back. Speaking of being beheld, and maybe not liking what you see. Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign?
0: So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Dead World Malajact, the Rogue Traders and their two best companies of armsmen have located the Verza House, an ancient obsidian fortress once occupied by the fallen Dark Angel, Lord Cypher. And they are under attack. Still... Still. <laughs> so the, uh, the arch militants Draco and Trank are manning the fortress walls, and their heretic Doc is leading the valiant defense of the gatehouse. Better him than us. Uh, and the rogue trader nerds, the Seneschal Tricks, the Quartermaster Echo, and the Astropath Flare have discovered a secret library containing schematics for the fortress's damaged power generator. So racing against time and hoping against hope, they sprint towards the generator. And then along the way, they get some familiar hauntings.
1: Yep, the chant of Company Six begins
0: echoing in their ears, which is never a good sign. No, it means someone's going to die. It means someone's going to die. Yeah, Trix picks out uh, something that disturbs him considerably above the din. You know, normally Company Six chants a bunch of uh, you know dismissive and sort of uh, ennui fill gallows humor type chants, right? You know, like you won't live long in Company Six. But this is a little more direct. They're chanting, we buried him all face down with a good view into hell. And Trix just internalizes it. And maybe it's the dark Eldar combat drugs that are coursing through his veins and literally keeping him alive.
1: And also somehow enabling him to see even though he has no eyes. He has blind sense. (laughs)
0: Like all good Eldar. (laughs) Um, he, He struggles with this. Um, The chanting, the sound of battle coming over the Vox Link, and he loses it. He gives over to his bloodlust and impulse, and uh, rather than follow the group to the basements to work on the power generator, uh, he is charging off to fight at the gatehouse. Good, because this is where the important things are happening, here at the fight in the gatehouse. But Flare and Echo, uh, they have a job to do, so they continue on. And when they get to the basement, they start like quickly stripping the casing off of this engine mechanism and finding all of its gearing inside Uh, made of a material that they have
1: no way of identifying, but (laughs) they can tell it's jammed. So instead of
0: what turning, I guess it's just sort of vibrating. Yeah. So it's like, it should be like turning full revolutions, but it's just kind of like turning a bit and then backing up and then turning a bit and then backing up, like oscillating.
1: Oh, like a, like a washing machine, like a bad washing machine. Like, like,
0: yeah, yeah, and so the, it explains that sort of weak and ebbing current that you guys have seen through all of the lights in the house, kind of like, you know, you had initially interpreted it as the house was breathing at night as they kind of like the lights got brighter and then faded and brighter and faded. And now, like, Flair has uncovered and, and Echo have uncovered. There's a mechanical explanation for that. Who put these things in a dimmer? Right. <laughs> Dumb. <laughs> So Flare and Echo are poring over the schematics, um, you know, looking, trying to figure out exactly how these gears are connected and, and how it could have jammed. And they're like playing with it and studying it. Um, and and the battle is getting ever more urgent. You know, the gatehouse is falling. Uh, the champion has entered. Um, the, the The fortress walls are no longer like putting out enough firepower to really stem the tide of the attackers. Fortunately. There's a willpower check now. <laughs>
1: yeah. And who fails? <gasps> Flair. Flair. Flair fails. He ends up
0: rushing off to the gatehouse to join the fight. <laughs> he, uh, Yeah, he's like, wait a minute. I think I figured it out. Do this. I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> Look, he's actually our best melee combatant. <laughs> he is. I, I mean, in a group that has some very capable melee combatants, Trix is also very good. Um, Doc, not so much. <laughs> But yeah. he can take Laz's fire to the face, so right, exactly. He can soak some damage. So, uh, Flair beats feet, and he heads to the gatehouse. Uh, he is going to make sure that that holds and buy enough time for Echo, uh, and she begins fiddling with the mechanism, trying to uh, trying to get this engine restarted, hoping that it provides their salvation. But she's going to have to solve this one alone.
1: Man, I hope this goes better than that one dinner party. And we'll find out what happens next next week so this week we're continuing our series on the nine alignments and this week we're talking about playing chaotic good characters my personal favorite because of course i am chaotic good just like batman Uh uh-huh so shane a quick reminder what
0: the heck is alignment yep so alignment is a uh two axis system of sort of um embracing the character's worldview so uh you have an axis of law to chaos and an axis of good to evil with neutral sitting in the middle so that gives you nine boxes uh nine combinations of the two alignments right so if you're
1: lawful you believe in order and duty and reliability and you know that you can't just do whatever you want to do
0: or society's going to fall apart and if you believe in chaos you believe in freedom uh flexibility self-expression uh, you believe that mindless obedience and deference to authority just crushes the spirit. Now, on the other axis, if you are good, you believe in altruism
1: and respect for life and compassion. You'll go out of your way to help other people, even if it might result in harm to
0: yourself. Whereas if you're evil, then you're selfish. You are willing to inflict harm. You are comfortable being on the, the uh, winning side of oppression. And you'll seek personal gain, even if it actively harms others. Line them up and you got
1: nine different alignments. Today, we're talking about the far end of the law and chaos spectrum and the
0: far end of the good evil spectrum. Chaotic good. So TV Tropes calls chaotic good the living embodiment of screw the rules. I'm doing what's right. Yeah, this is the character who is like, I, I don't understand like
1: why things have to work this way. Shouldn't we just do the thing that we all know we want to do because it's better for everyone? Come on. Right they uh they prize
0: having the freedom to do good their way
1: yeah they're often rebels or outlaws or anarchists or they're classified as free spirits often because you know they're pushing against what society says to do because society doesn't have everybody's best
0: interest at heart right right it's just trying to keep everyone in line man right It, it isn't necessarily doing good to be in society so like let's tear it down and and make it better for everyone, right? Because like these are good characters right. who like
1: want other people to be happy, want other people to be free, want other people to be able to make their own choices.
0: Yeah, and they have chaotic in their title, right? Chaotic good. But they almost universally treat chaos as freedom. Yeah, they're not
1: usually the kind of chaotic characters who are like throwing like, empty liquor bottles off of bridges. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, if it's not going to hurt anyone... Why not? You do you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so as, as with all of these sort of, you know, two axis alignments, you can kind of edge towards good or you can edge towards freedom. So uh, chaotic good characters who like kind of edge towards freedom uh, tend to believe that people need to be free in order to act as they wish and that they should choose to be good.
1: Chaotic characters who edge toward good uh, believe that people who are free then have a responsibility to choose to do good with that freedom. You can get a bit of tension between uh, chaotic characters who see other people not being good. And they respect their freedom, but they also have this impetus toward, like, trying to make that person do the right thing, even though they often are trying to stay their hand. Right.
0: And then you have this kind of lateral path as well of like freedom is its own goodness, right? So it's fundamentally a good thing for people to have freedom. And you can't be good unless you're free to choose it, right? Right. Forcing people to do good is not them being good. Right, exactly. So you have to free people, even if it means you create a little bit of evil. Like you, you have to fundamentally be free in order for true goodness to exist.
1: Often these characters will have a code, sometimes a very strict one, which is, uh, I guess, a little counterintuitive, a chaotic character having a very strict code. Mm -hmm. But if they do, it usually means they're not going to force it on someone else. Like part of their code is, I don't enforce this code on other people.
0: Yeah, like one of the certainly most D&D canonical examples of chaotic good is Dritz and dritz has a intensely strong personal code that he never once imposes on anybody he's like i will not do that like that is just not my thing but like you don't have to do it if you don't believe it <laughs> yeah he doesn't even impose it on other drow no he meets you know right. he's
1: not like okay you really need to act like i'm doing because this is the right way it's hey yeah you're up here you know you can make your own choices i mean don't hurt anybody
0: or i'll murder you right yeah there's consequences to your choices yeah. but like you should freely choose so speaking of dritz uh what are some other examples of chaotic good characters from media well we'll be talking
1: about him later but i think the sort of like quintessential archetypal chaotic good character is robin hood right
0: like rob from the rich to give to the poor yeah, specifically breaks the law so that he can do good right like doesn't keep it for himself yeah, Conan the Barbarian uh ends up being chaotic good. Like I think early on he's probably more chaotic neutral cuz mm-hmm. he doesn't really care. He's like more of a mercenary, you know, you know, pirate and all those things, but um as he gets older in the stories, like he does sort of start edging towards doing what's right.
1: Lando Calrissian, uh I mean, no, after maybe some of the initial introductions. Yeah, he has an arc. Yeah, and you know, sometimes he's the one being like, "Hey, hey Han," like tapping on the shoulder and being like, you know the right thing to do you should be doing the right thing yeah why why are you being such a
0: scoundrel right um i mean at times you could argue that han is also chaotic good right i mean yeah yeah he does come back but uh lando is kind of the more interesting uh moral character um and then of course one of your favorites mal reynolds of firefly
1: yeah i mean there's gonna be arguments about how (laughs) <laughs> malice all nine alignments uh but yeah i think good fits the best here obviously chaos right he fought on the side of the browncoats and the independence because they didn't want the alliance which is which like views itself as like a good and caring organization you know like often does make lives better because it makes sure that everyone has food and water and shelter
0: yeah but i think mal falls under the the sense of like freedom is goodness right right like that is his his worldview and that's like that was his sort of thing right it's like i definitely fought on the losing side i'm still not sure it was the wrong side
1: yeah I, like when the alliance comes they have all these things to offer he is very much of the opinion that he should have the choice not to accept those
0: things right so what are some reasons to play chaotic good characters and there are many it's a popular alignment for a reason Yeah, because it's the best alignment. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's the best. What's next? Uh, Well, so
1: your character could originate outside of whatever society the game is taking place in, Um, whether that means uh, you're an outlander or from a barbarian tribe or just a hermit who spent a lot of time away. But you want to do the right thing. Um, you are like an intrinsically good person or, you know, your epiphany when you uh, were like squirreled away from society was like, we're all one. We're all the same. and We all need to like work together in order to like improve like all of our stations. But you still have a hard time fitting into societal constraints or like what's accepted of you by other people who uh, grew up in this and maybe haven't questioned this society at all.
0: You might also want to play a good character who has a disdain for politics or for government in general. Uh, you know, this could be less of like a uh, less of a, like an anarchist or a revolutionary and more of just kind of like a, a dismissive character of those type of like institutions.
1: If you lean a little ha- more heavily toward chaos, you could be a character that just wants to overturn the entire system. And, you know, if you succeed, maybe you figure out exactly how difficult it is to make sure that everyone's still being pretty good without some sort of system telling the not good people how they should behave
0: yeah i think the the archetypal like trope here is that once the chaotic good character overturns the unjust system they then have to delegate (laughs) because they are not the person to lead the reformation of like a better system right
1: they're like paperwork right (laughs) What, what are you even talking about well there needs to be statutes otherwise nobody does any good things well i mean like some of you do but most people don't.
0: Yeah, it turns out we have to protect people from those who are willing to do evil, like, regardless of consequence. Oh, that makes sense. I thought if we just gave everybody guns, they would just do good for each other. <laughs> and the bad people would be kept in check by good guys with guns. I mean, swords. Yes, good guys with swords. Or wands. Maybe we are playing good Harry Potter. Swords. Or Heparon.
1: Ah, wand slinger justice. Out in the mean streets of kibara right i guess they're not really streets are they or like mud tracks right you could be a player who wants their character to be challenged by moral quandaries about how society should actually be structured you know maybe you haven't succeeded in overthrowing maybe you're still on the fence about how evil is this society what are the um what is the replacement going to look like if i do succeed in overthrowing it like how how much can i affect change within this system
0: yeah. And I mean, even even on a smaller scale, right, like that can be your kind of source of inner party conflict is, you know, you have the paladin or the fighter or or the monk, right, that are naturally lawful uh, and, and you want to have that debate with them, right? Like we're going to do the right thing because we're both good, but we can debate about how to do the right thing and how we should encourage others to do the right thing, right? Like that can be kind of an ongoing in character kind of. Um, debate or discussion
1: yeah hold on a second like i know that we all technically swore oaths of fealty but should we be protecting the feudal lord they seem like a pretty terrible person yeah i'm okay walking away from that oath right i don't know that we need to kill the feudal lord but maybe we just don't defend
0: right <laughs> let, let nature take its course <laughs>
1: <laughs> just throwing this out there i'm just i'm just throwing it out there
0: Um, And then, of course, chaotic good is the best way to play the uh, literal or figurative social justice warrior.
1: Yeah, like in in a fantasy setting, in a sci-fi setting, you can literally be a warrior who is fueled by, like, the power of, of justice and, like, helping other people. Yep. Like, the good golden angel.
0: So, what are some reasons for adventuring as a chaotic good character?
1: Sometimes you can't help it. You know, if you see a problem... You do something about it. You're not bound by like these codes of conduct or societal expectations. Like, oh, you know, I'm a third generation accountant. And so it's really expected that I should. No, uh, you see a problem and you go out and and help those people uh, because it's the right thing to do. And why wouldn't you do that? How could I live with myself if I wasn't doing this?
0: Yeah, the another thing is you might just want to tear it down, right? Uh, you want to take up the fight against restrictive or oppressive regimes Or if you recognize the value of having those laws and institutions, simply balance them out, right? Like be the foil to the kind of restrictive um, nature of uh, an advanced society and a legal system and those types of things.
1: Yeah, I'm a third-generation accountant. (laughs) I see all these terrible things happening. How could I live with myself if I didn't try to burn it to the ground? Right. Uh, This is probably one of my favorite tropes. Uh, You're just the wandering do-gooder. Um, just you know walking around going from town to town just you know trying to keep to myself mostly I just want to get a drink here but these people aren't very nice they're actually treating that person over there really poorly and like I'm not
0: cool with that no no no.
1: be better yeah or uh,
0: or be more broken right right. like those are your (laughs) two choices (laughs) yeah I mean this is like kind of your default adventurer you know if you have like a good party like this is just the default guy it's like yeah i'm here like i'll take a job i won't take a job I'll, I'll do that i won't do that like i'm just here to you know generally do good yeah this is the
1: uh michael weston i mean he's less of a wanderer because he's stuck in miami yeah but like <laughs> you can't pay uh yeah i, I know just, you can't yeah, pay okay, I'll do But i'll yeah. figure it out oh you can pay but you're giving me this no you you keep it you need it more yeah, uh-huh. uh
0: let me just take enough for bullets right <laughs> Um, you can also uh, have the chaotic good adventurer who is the moral compass for the party. Um, you know, they, they might believe that their conscience, not the law or codes of the land, is the ultimate determiner of good and evil. Um, and so they want to make sure that like, they are uh, presenting that to the people who are most capable of benefiting from it, you know, making sure that this party of powerful adventurers is doing the best that they can.
1: Yeah, like um an action is not good or evil because there is a law for or against it, right? It is intrinsically good or evil and the laws and codes should reflect those and if they don't, then it's our responsibility to change them or change the people
0: in power. Yeah, it was it was interesting because I think um I think this was sort of Emery's archetype. Oh yeah, right? Uh-huh. Like even though I think she was technically neutral good, Like, I think she actually kind of falls into this kind of chaotic good as well in a lot of ways of, like, she was the pure one amongst us. Though I guess she had no soul. (laughs) (laughs) She got it back eventually. She got better. (laughs) (laughs) She had no soul to be tainted. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I
1: mean, I think the vision for her character was very much, like, the the good-est that you can be. And all of her actions were dictated by, like, what is the good option in the scenario? And I did think it was interesting that it ended up sort of moving her slowly toward more chaotic good or at least pushing against um the institutions that were in place in the world. Yeah. But if you think about Ebron, you know, like two years after the the day of mourning, like it's a place where the institutions are not necessarily
0: working for the best interests of all the people. Well, certainly not in the short term. <laughs> they're they're definitely trying to figure out what the best interests are, you know. So what are some of the moral dilemmas that you can um uh, pose to a chaotic good character to challenge them.
1: I think we um, touched on this a little bit, but it's when the two axes are in opposition to each other. When you know an action you can take will cause more good, but it will also cause more law or vice versa. And then the quintessential one here is, you know, can I force someone else to do good? Or how, how much can I force someone to not do evil? Right? Like at what point am I preventing them from doing evil versus preventing them from acting out their own freedom? And like, is that going to have repercussions further down the line? Like if you, a lot of characters, especially in fantasy settings, believe that alignment is actually something tangible, you know? So if you are restricting someone's freedom enough, if you, I don't know, put someone in jail, like is that, that, how do you feel about like life in prison? Are you a character who says, okay, this is an evil person they will obviously be doing bad things, i should just kill them actually that would be better than being locked up forever because that's a terrible infringement of freedom
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and i mean the flip side is you could you could challenge them with like if you are not good you do not deserve freedom right so therefore jails are the uh the correct place for evil demonstrably evil people right they don't deserve their freedom and, and you can challenge the character uh, in that way. Yeah, maybe the thing that removes the most freedom is killing someone. Right. So another way to use a moral dilemma is uh, commonly chaotic good characters will free people and allow them to make choices afterwards, right? Like, um, you know, under the, the kind of assumption that because you were oppressed or or whatever, you know, or out of necessity, you did evil things, but you are fundamentally good, right? Right. Um, You make them face the fact that not everyone is fundamentally good in that way. So somebody that you have freed, like, for example, from slavery or, like, freed from prison or, or whatever it was, like, turns out to do bad things. And now they have to reconcile the morality of, like, what is their responsibility in granting freedom to somebody who was fundamentally evil.
1: Yeah, whatever that person was in prison for a very, very good reason. Right. Um, Or yeah, they free the genie from the lamp because, like, of course uh, you're stuck in a lamp. That's terrible. Right. And nope, it's a horrible ifriti. Yeah. yeah. (laughs)
0: Whoops.
1: (laughs) Chaotic good characters are also like prime targets for the conniving villain who's who's just trying to help. You know, like they offer the villain can offer uh, a decision or a choice uh, that. The chaotic good character has a hard time refusing because, in the short term, or in the most obvious ways, it it does good, right? Um, it helps a particular person, it uh, improves an institution, it like makes things better for for a nation. While the uh, conniving villain knows that it helps them in the very long term. This is kind of a Lex Luthor type of thing. Is uh, yeah, why don't you um help guard the uh, the peace conference? i mean why wouldn't you guard a peace conference i mean i am running this peace conference and you know that i'm a terrible person but what's your other option like let it get destroyed by terrorists right
0: (laughs) so how do chaotic good characters interact with other alignments I think you touched on this a, a bit with like lawful good or neutral good
1: characters. There's a, a tension, but they're usually still ultimately on the same side ex- until you maybe come to a head near the end of a, an actual campaign, right? Like the, the paladin and the chaotic good ranger often differ in their methods, but their goal is usually still the same. Yeah, they may have arguments about how to accomplish that
0: tasks yeah yeah, i feel like that's especially with lawful good um certainly not with like lawful evil right but like with with good or neutral kind of um morally aligned lawful characters like it it feels like healthy debate is sort of the level of opposition that they would expect right but but consistent debate um like always sort of questioning the value of the um order that they're attempting to impose on the world
1: yeah and i think there can be a nice dynamic of like each eventually understanding that there are things that you do or can do that i am not comfortable doing but sometimes those things need to be done like the paladin can be like hey chaotic good rogue um like i think a E is probably necessary here and i know you're very good at that and I have no qualms with it
0: yeah <laughs> like i i cannot bear that stain on my soul but I'm your gonna... soul is already is already great <laughs> that's it. what you're here for right
1: i'm uh i'm gonna go to the bar <laughs> you, uh, you do you. Of course, like you mentioned, lawful evil characters. I mean, that's diametric opposition. You right? know, right. you you probably have almost nothing in common with a a lawful evil character who is fine with or maybe even promotes tyranny. You know, thinks that people need to be kept in line because they're essentially like chattel who can't make any decisions
0: for themselves. Right. Yeah, I, I think on the evil scale, like the general idea for a, uh, for a chaotic good character is going to like probably air towards redemption, right? Like it is probably that they do not have the freedom that they need in order to choose good. Right. Um, but like a lawful evil character is going to be really hard. You know, like we don't see eye to eye, like you probably just need to be killed, right? Like you're, we are incompatible and I'm right. (laughs) So you gotta go
1: yeah I I mean I, I can see chaotic good characters being sort of on either side of an extreme spectrum which is okay we really need to redeem everyone everyone needs choices and options and then on the other side of that still being chaotic good and like being fine with oh you are a terrible person I'm going to kill you I don't worry about summary execution because like the law doesn't really matter, right? I don't need to bring you in front of a magistrate and like prove you guilty. You are very
0: obviously guilty. Look at you. Yeah. Just sort of like summary justice. Yeah. uh, According to their own conscience.
1: Yeah. Vigilantes make good chaotic, good characters. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I can see how a chaotic good character can get very frustrated with neutral characters. Um, People who don't commit to either side because like, Chaotic good usually like they're on the extreme of the the spectrum because they they fervently believe that something needs to be done or isn't happening and like that's where they're out here right and you can you can see this in in the lives of people who like are really out there trying to affect change how frustrating it can be with people who just don't really care or don't really commit or or like trying to take a, a middle path people who are not quite extreme enough
0: yeah no that that makes sense because like you can kind of see like l- the long chaos side are sort of like chaos is like the natural order or lack thereof, you know, the natural entropy of nature. Um, Whereas order is like sort of the natural will of humanity imposed on nature. Right. And so like, those are kind of natural opposites, but neutral is just like caught in the middle without recognizing that either are real, you know, like I, like I could see a chaotic character being like, I mean, I totally disagree with you wanting to put laws in place, but I understand that you're attempting to master nature and I feel like that's foolhardy, but a neutral character is just floating along the stream and like, you, you've really got to pick a side here, like do right or do, do order or do freedom, but like do something.
1: Yeah. You can at least engage a lawful character in debate, right? You know, and potentially convince them. Uh, yeah, I can see, like, lawful characters looking at neutral characters and being like, you don't have to do what I want you to do because I'm creating laws, and then there will be a structure and a framework, and then you will end up doing good anyway because that's why I'm, like, building laws. Right. Whereas the chaotic character is like, I can't build laws or a structure to get you to do this, so I need to convince you, but I can't engage with you. Right.
0: Like, I, I, I need to motivate you somehow, but you don't care. <laughs> like, you're the worst. <laughs> so what are some pitfalls that you can run up against when you're playing a chaotic good character so I think chaotic good characters can sometimes be prone to chaotic override uh, which is where like usually born from short sightedness but because of their sort of chaos they are undermining the other characters agency Mm. by sort of demanding that that chaos or freedom be imposed at the wrong moment Um, so like like an example like A cool way to do chaotic good is like debating with the party if it's right to go to the king to to help solve a problem, or if the monarchy and the aristocracy are in fact the problem. Um, A not cool way of doing chaotic good is to seek an audience with the king to help solve that problem, then suddenly attacking him because you feel the monarchy and aristocracy are part of the problem. Right? Like, one way is you know, working with the party to come to a conclusion. The other is simply like overriding the party's decision um, with your and and justifying it then with uh, chaos
1: yeah there's an unfortunate overlap between like the chaotic good archetype and the lone wolf Mm -hmm. it's like I'm just doing my own thing you you can't control me my character would never go along with this well then get out of the party yeah I'm not part of a squad
0: well you can't take instructions so maybe like don't be here right um, and then there's some, like, kind sub of sub-cases of that kind of chaotic override that can be problematic. So, like, anarchists specifically are always hard to play in a role-playing game. Unless, um, like, the whole party's anarchist. Yeah, yeah. It's fine in, like, a a punk game, right? Like, you can, you can play that kind of, like, f- mage punk in Sharn in Eberron, and it's great, right? Or, you know, any cyberpunk game. Like, fine. You're all sort of anarchists, and that works. But... If you're playing your classic fantasy, uh, or even like your classic sci-fi, like it can be really hard to be to have a character who just wants to tear down every bit of progress that the party makes.
1: Yeah, this is one of those um, character traits that works really better as just roleplay and like complaining or um, you know uh, talking about your philosophical bent while adventuring with the party right. right but not necessarily acting on it because if you think about it in the fantasy setting like alright I may think that like a, a collective commune is the best way for all of us to live uh, but there aren't a ton of other people who are interested in doing that and also the the hills are filled with werewolves yeah like, <laughs> like this self organized collective is
0: really really struggling <laughs> for now
1: I'm adventuring um you know, getting some money and some loot and like writing some wrongs. Uh, that's good. I mean, I can talk about what I envision someday I'll be able to like create with like the earnings of adventuring.
0: Right. And you can also hold those beliefs as that would be the perfect society, but also have a realistic like recognition that that's not possible. You know, like, the utopian civilization isn't gonna happen, so we have to work within the confines of the actual world. Yeah, not while the gnolls are rampaging. Right. <laughs> We've got bigger problems right now. Exactly. Um, and then another distilled case of that chaotic override is the good but crazy. Um this is Lou, like why she was chaotic good, right? Was that she was actually just a little bit like a screw loose in the head um in the Eberron campaign. But at the same time, like she was good about going along as the crazy person in a group. Um, Yeah. And that was very much
1: Susie being like, like role playing out. Well, I don't quite understand why you would do that. But, you know, you understand all of this better than I do since I'm not from this plane. So I guess we'll just try it and see.
0: Yeah. And also, like, it can be super constructive because like having that detachment, Um, lets you make difficult decisions or bear heavy like emotional burdens um, that the rest of the party might struggle with you know like like you said with the uh, the paladin telling the chaotic good rogue that maybe it's time for a little light B&E you know the rogue can bear that burden the paladin doesn't have to Um, that's
1: good right maybe Lou is the one who can uh, murder an entire drow village
0: right (laughs) huh (laughs) You noticed, huh? <laughs> um, but it's it's destructive if the crazy piece is just overriding or invalidating the party's either challenges or their moral struggles or their decisions.
1: Yeah, Lou had the capability to destroy
0: that drow village as soon as you noticed that it existed. Yeah, but she waited until the absolute last minute to do it right when it it was was absolutely most spiteful moment which was actually (laughs) just way better (laughs) it was a bit of catharsis (laughs) and then i think the last pitfall of chaotic good which is one that isn't as um, necessarily like uh, destructive to the party but can be challenging for the players that like you can end up screaming into the void you know like it's good to have far reaching goals of like reformination or like end all Warforged slavery or, you know, topple a dictatorial regime. But, like, that's not a super actionable thing for a level one character. (laughs) Um, So it can feel like you never get to really pursue your objective if you set the objective too crazy far out.
1: Yeah, we ran into this in our Dark Sun game when Brian was playing Moleses, like a freed mole gladiator slave, whose, like, main goal, main stated goal was... Free the moles. Yep. You know? Uh, And that was never a thing that came into conflict with what the party wanted to do because, like, none of us were opposed to freeing the moles. And Brian was very much like, that is the end game that's what i'm working toward but part of that is being stronger uh getting better weapons creating lots of connections in a network Mm -hmm. like all of these things that we're doing right now are extremely helpful to
0: get me toward my goal right but what he didn't do was like every time he saw malls and chains he didn't go tilting at windmills to fight their captors and free them and thus like make his story incredibly short right he did buy them he did and free them.
1: Yeah. Every opportunity he was like, I buy you and I free you. Okay. He
0: right. he also like joined our mercenary company because of the way that we treated malls who were previously enslaved. We like freed them and he was like, okay, I get it. We can do this. Like I can, I can join the company and still pursue my objective.
1: Yeah, and I think he saw the company add different objectives to the creed. I think there was a definite possibility that, you know, eventually at some point that's something that we would have considered. Right. All right, so what are some interesting plot hooks that GMs can throw at their Chaotic Good players or that you, remember, as a player, can include in your backstory or suggest to your GM?
0: So the most basic one, I think we we already touched on this a bit, is just the adventurer for hire. Like, Chaotic Good is the prototypical PC. (laughs) Like, not too many attachments, no significant place in society, willing to go outside the law to do what's right, and willing to work towards a big objective.
1: This should actually be, like, the default alignment. It really should. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't want to hurt people unless they deserve it. Um, you know, you move around a lot. You're not really, like, tied down to a structure. Not necessarily from a particular nation.
0: Yeah. It's it's the perfect hook for the player who doesn't want to be troubled by legality for their moral compass.
1: However, if you want to play a chaotic good character who is more philosophically chaotic and good... Um, or is in a setting where there are some very obvious wrongs in the world that can potentially be righted, you could play like a a breaker of chains, right? A PC who sees some kind of oppression going on, whether that's, um, you know, chattel slavery or, um, you know, serfs working, uh, having all the uh, proceeds squeezed out of them uh, via high taxes. So feudalism. Yes, exactly. Fantasy games are pretty much the only time you can actually have a chance of potentially overthrowing feudalism. Yeah. (laughs) So you'll see some sort of oppression inherent in in this setting or society and you want to correct it. Um, But, like, you got to be reasonable about how you're going to go about doing that. No one's going to listen to you if, like, you just came off the farm and you're like, I think all people should be free.
0: Yeah, you're a freshman in college. Nobody cares about your opinion. You have no experience. You, of course, must...
1: Become what you try to end, right? right. <laughs> You've got to become a finance major and and go on Wall Street and do a bunch of blow, and then someday get appointed to the Supreme Court, I guess. And then Social responsibility
0: investing, yishin it's the future. Oh, okay, all right. Hit me up with those SRI's. But but realistically, um, what you what you need to do in order to change society, right, is to amass the wealth or the power or the influence or you know, for lack of a better term, the experience. In order to actually tackle a problem of that scale so you've still got to go do the adventuring and while you're doing it you do good in the process
1: yeah i mean like put it in perspective of the fiction of the setting in traditional D D, you get to 20th level you can destroy entire armies by yourself you can walk into the castle no one can stop you and i don't know maybe just like convince slash uh magic up the the monarch and have them like free everybody mm-hmm you can just do that. Yep. So get there. <laughs> get good. <laughs> There's the obvious uh, Drist D'Ordan plot hook, which is like from a bad society, but you had to leave it. Oh, yeah. And now you want to redeem others, you know? Um, so you're sort of always available there. Like if you are uh, encountering uh, an enemy you may have the urge to, you know, talk with them first to figure out where they're coming from. Is there a particular reason that the giants are raiding uh, the settlements? You know, um, is it a dragon that's actually causing the giants Mm -hmm. to be displaced and then they are therefore displacing the trolls who are displacing the farmers? Right. Um, A cat, a good character is like the perfect person to sort of see through the social dynamics of like what's going on in in a typical setting and try to sort of cut to the heart of the matter. Like, we kill the evil red dragon, all of these problems go
0: away. It's the system, man. It's the system that's built. Right. It's, it's the, uh, multi-level marketing scheme of evil. Right. <laughs> because the dragon's being controlled by a lich. Right. <laughs> Lichy Madoff over here. <laughs> so I think in conclusion, um, you actually already said it like chaotic good should really be the starting alignment for most just generic you know fantasy adventurers
1: yeah i think you really kind of need to come up with a reason why you're not chaotic good if you're not Mm -hmm. you know like if you're neutral i think typically there should be a reason that you're neutral not just i don't really know like if you don't really know be chaotic good
0: yeah yeah agreed i mean neutral neutral you have to have a pretty strong bent towards i actively don't care (laughs) how good gets done you know um. Or if good gets done, or, well, not if. Like right? you're true you're neutral. St- you're still good. Oh well. New- yeah, true neutral. Yeah, I think it's a good place to start for most campaigns. Like, and certainly like any published campaign, you really can't go wrong playing chaotic good.
1: Yeah, and it's probably the party friendliest alignment. Like, you get to do whatever you want to do for the most part, but it's really difficult to step on other players' toes or on the toes of the plot and the GM
0: if you're just playing Chaotic Good. Yeah, as long as you're not doing a Chaotic Override, you're in good shape. All right, do you hear that, Ishan? It's the system, the grinding, the grinding gears of the system. Well, let's move on to the character creation forge and build a new one. But before we do that... Let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N dangerous. And
1: you can tweet at, at evil at carne, That's Malice
0: minus meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And now, a word from one of our other great shows on Don't Split the Podcast Network, Dames and Dragons.
1: Oh man, I really want to experience the magic of Dungeons and Dragons, but I'm a cave hermit who made an oath never to speak to other people again. And I want to watch a classic fantasy series like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones, but I can't stand the sight of human faces. Well, I want to relive the magic of make believe, the humor of a preschool aged child, and the genuine camaraderie of nearly 10 years of friendship through only my ears, but I don't know how! <laughs> <laughs> you ignorant fools! You don't even know about. Dames and dragons! <laughs> what? But. Dames and dragons? What's that? Dames and Dragons is a Dungeons and Dragons actual play podcast. A a podcast? So I can experience the spontaneous group storytelling of D&D without breaking my oath of solitude? That's right. And I can take part in a rich fantasy storyline without ever having to lay eyes on a disgusting human face? Never again will the faces plague you. And it has a cast of four female friends who make constant immature jokes as they play? Absolutely. I would never lead you astray, my friend. Whether you love D&D or just love a good fantasy tale, Dames and Dragons is the podcast for you. Tells the story of three unlikely heroes who are chosen to become guardians of the goddess of their world, a floating island by the name of Astra. By God, that sounds like something I could get into. Sounds like something I'd love. Sounds like something I'd make. <laughs> well,
0: that's just ridiculous. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Danes and Dragons updated every second Monday wherever podcasts are sold. And we're back. So, this week on the Character Creation Forge, we are building, I think of course, Robin Hood. So, who is Robin Hood? He's a fox.
0: I think that's the best Robin Hood. He's a fox. Yep. He leads a merry band of brigands in Sherwood Forest to uh, resist the heavy taxation of Prince John. Oh yeah, Prince John. That guy. He's... Not much of a line, but I
1: believe he just doubled the taxes. Nay, tripled the taxes. Tripled the taxes.
0: Uh, Robin Hood is also known for his superb archery, his crafty deceptions, and his skilled sneakery. Um, I I think people know this, but like my
1: actual last name is Sherwood. Uh, I have always had a soft spot for Robin Hood. I'm <laughs> glad we're finally doing this. Because <laughs> his home was named after you. Yes, of course. Obviously. Okay. All right.
0: So, Shane, what is the build? It is Thief Rogue 7, Battlemaster Fighter 13. Love this combination. Uh,
1: So from Rogue, we get all of the typical Rogue goodies. We get a sneak attack, which of course you can use with your archery. Mm -hmm. Uh, We get cunning action, which is a nice hide or
0: uh, disengage. Yep, and you expand the uses of that with your uh, Thief Fast Hands. Oh, I love Fast Hands, right? Like um,
1: uh, object interaction as a bonus action.
0: Yeah, that's a big one you'll also get all of the tanky abilities so um the damage reduction from uncanny dodge uncanny dodge Uh, and the improved save effect from evasion and i believe you also get
1: slippery mind proficiency and wisdom saving throws at level seven uh i really like how this models that like disney's robin hood is he's tough he He takes a
0: beating he does um, but he's also crafty. Like, like a fox. Yeah. He's yeah. a super good second story worker. Like, um, and also, like, I think Thief lets you climb at full speed without penalty. Yeah, yeah, it totally does. He just climbs the outside of towers all the time.
1: Yeah, like c- climbs up arrows stuck in. Tower, yeah, like, like pitons.
0: <laughs> pitons.
1: Uh, yeah, because it's animated, he's basically
0: superhuman. Yeah. Well, uh, super fox. <laughs> wait, is he human? No, he's a super fox. So he's a tabaxi. Oh, he's a tabaxi. Oh, you mean character-wise? Yeah, he's a tabaxi. I mean, come <laughs> on. Also super fast. I mean, he is jumping fences and dodging trees right. trying to get away. Great swimmer. Oodle-lolly, oodle golly, what a day. <laughs> uh, so from 13 levels of fighter, we'll take an archery fighting style. We'll get, of course, action surge and second wind, the early abilities. Uh, you'll also get four ASIs, which will open you up for feats. Um, I really like inspiring leader. Um, this gives you your level plus charisma temp HP um, to six allies per short rest. I mean, that's just sitting around telling
1: stories. Yeah. Uh, I'd like that we talked about whether he needs to get sharpshooter,
0: but that's not necessary. Like his thing is accuracy and he does enough damage with a sneak attack and like other like abilities that he has as a battle master. So we thought it's optional, Like, but his thing really isn't take a penalty to hit to get more damage. His thing is, he just always hits.
1: Yeah, always hits, and then probably more than likely, like convinces you to lay down arms. Yeah, right. Or like uh, through an amazing display of bowmanship, convinces you to lay down your arms. Yeah, it's a like, bit like
0: the Diplomancer from three point five, but with shooting. Right. Yeah, it's more like uh, like intimidation through his um, prowess, rather than necessarily just like outright killing you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get three attacks
1: and uh, two uh, rerolls of failed saving throws via
0: indomitable which is amazing with the rogue's evasion yeah you're often going to just be ignoring area effects which is great because when he jumps out of the tower into the moat and dodges the hail of arrows and then swims away breathing through a reed just good oh yeah we didn't even mention expertise through rogue well, well I mean yeah obviously yeah we have expertise. four expertises yeah, yeah. definitely deception and definitely stealth and then probably persuasion and you know uh, pick what you would like for Robin Hood otherwise yeah what what kind of Robin Hood are you playing yeah <laughs> is this a Robin of Loxley right back from the Crusades um, so with your superiority dice uh, as a battle master you will get d10s and you definitely want to take rally and goading attack mm-hmm. um, goading attack imposes... uh, It's a marking mechanic, so it imposes disadvantage if the target attacks anybody else. I mean, he's taunting all the time in that Mm -hmm. movie. And then precision attack, because sometimes you just gotta split that arrow in half, (laughs) uh, which lets you add your superiority die roll to your hit.
1: And any of those other trick shots um, can typically be used at range. You can do menacing attack, uh,
0: fainting attack, which... Well, why don't you explain this? So fainting attack is kind of a neat one. Um, It... It can only be used against a target that is within 5 feet of you, and as a bonus action, you faint, which gives you advantage on your next attack against that target. Um, it doesn't say you have to be within 5 feet when you attack. So you can break up your movement, uh, faint, move away, potentially provoking the attack of opportunity, which you're Robin Hood, you tank it, not a big deal. Um, and then you can still shoot him with your bow from you know 10 feet away, with advantage, yeah, which activates sneak attack. <laughs> I guess you could take the crossbow master
1: feat and not have disadvantage in melee, but I kind of like the nope. idea of like just taking the hit. Do
0: not do that. No crossbows, roll Hood. <laughs> That's a little John move. <laughs> crossbow is a strength weapon <laughs> <laughs> that you swing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can take a commander strike. Yeah, this is always good for the rogue battle master archetype because it. it once you've used your sneak attack, you've kind of done your cool thing for the turn, um, so you can pass that effect on to somebody else to make their attack, yeah, uh, and, out of out of turn
1: and Robin Hood is always like giving other people advice on the shot, yeah, or or they're shooting, and then he's just shooting their arrow in midair and knocking it so that it hits the original target, right. <laughs> Which I think that's probably how I would do my commander strike,
0: yeah, actually. <laughs> I shoot an arrow at you to make sure your blade lands. <laughs> Alright, so for leveling order,
1: um, I mean, Robin of Loxley was in the Crusades, so you should be starting with fighter. Yeah, canonically. Of, of course. I mean, yeah, rogues
0: went to the Crusades, right? You start Rogue One. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess. But, yeah, so I would start Rogue One and then take five levels of fighter. Um, Look, well, that- he, he's a noble, alright? Let's go Rogue One as a noble who is sent to the Crusades, and that's where he gets his fighter levels. I, I mean, that still makes even less sense. It goes totally backwards. He was a trained fighter as a noble who went to the Crusades and learned to be underhanded. He was born as a noble. Right.
1: And Rogue is the noble archetype because we don't have anything else in D&D. Uh, nope. Because we're not talking about a
0: paladin because he doesn't want high armor. Right. Ugh. Anyway, so I would go Rogue One uh, to Fighter five, and then go ahead and get to Rogue Five. So at level 10, you're split fighter and Rogue. Um, and from there, you just pick whichever levels look the most interesting to you at any given point. So, you know, get to Fighter Thirteen um, as fast or as slow as you want, but pretty much at every point, so you'll have a choice when to take your two rogue levels.
1: Yeah, I think it's really going to be like, do you want those two more expertises, or do you really want a gun for Fighter Eleven to get three attacks? Right. All right, Edition. Who is your Robin Hood? so I'm going to take this in a different direction from actual Robin Hood uh, my Robin Hood uh, was a fighter but had a very bad time in war fighting up close and in the trenches in fact really hates it now uh, and so when she finally got away from the scrum from the like horrible din of up close battle she realized that you know the more civilized way to fight is from a distance far away with a bow bows and arrows you know you don't uh have to smell people's entrails as they fall out of them as you disembowel them with your blade you can just uh, stick an arrow in their eye and be done with it walk away not taking a look at anybody uh, of course she did spend that time in the trenches she knows what it's like uh to have that that camaraderie and so she has uh developed a, a knack for inspiring speeches uh letting everyone know on her On her side uh, what they're going to do what the plan is we're not going to engage directly why would we do that we are going to melt into the forest we're going to hide in the trees and as soon as we uh, see them we're going to pin cushion them with arrows and then disappear hit and run hit and run this is smart this is wise this keeps us alive
0: we are legends we're ghosts in the forest okay so you're like um, Liv Schreiber in was it him? In The Manchurian Candidate. No, in the uh, in that the movie about the Polish resistance in World War II. I know what you're talking about. I don't remember what it's called, can, uh, but probably it, yes. He was the brother, and I think Liam Neeson was the main character. Anyway, at us. Liam Neeson, the most Polish man I can think of. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> better than Sean Connery's Egyptian. <laughs> or Ben Kingsley is anything, for that matter. Ben Kingsley could be... British. He should just play
1: Ben Kingsley. He's good as he's he good as just, British. It should just be Ben Kingsley as himself, right?
0: All right, Shane. What about your Robin Hood? So my Robin Hood is as a Tabaxi, um, a, a natural forest folk, right? And there is a particular forest that Tabaxi uh, have lived in for a long time, uh, on the island of Arinal, with uh, with a certain group of elves. Oh interesting um, and, it, and it's a certain forest an important forest One that uh, has recently become The uh, subject of a, of a Vast new industry in Corvair The Sorwood Forests of Arenal. Uh And so my tabaxi um, Robin Hood Is the last of His community um, But has honed his skills In that forest fighting Against the creep of Industrialization and logging as they're literally destroying his home to build airships for house larander so he has been uh fully displaced his entire community has been displaced now uh their home has been logged and now he swears revenge against larander um for destroying his home that seems like a
1: kind of good thing to do yeah you know i blame the elves they really should have uh,
0: managed their resources better. Well, I mean, yeah, definitely the elves aren't getting off clean on this, but I feel like most <laughs> campaigns take place in Corvair, so you've kind of got to just like cut your losses in there and all. Got to uh, take
1: uh, take the fight to Lorander.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're not wrong. It's just that it's it's harder to work that into a campaign. Um, the same thing actually would work with uh, with a Tabaxi like, on the border of Breland. Um, like at any given point, right? Like the Brelish war machine was would have been logging like crazy on all of the, its forests. As oh well. yeah, absolutely. So, you got to build sh- uh, siege machines out of something. Yeah, and I mean that was the strength of Breland in the last war was their their strength of their material and manufacturing. Right, so mm-hmm. um, he could do the same thing against Breland. It would be fine. Or Thrain. I mean, the Tabaxi probably were friends with some shifters. <laughs> I mean, were they like? I could also see the tabaxi as being like they're not, they're not real fur folk. They're, <laughs> like, they're, they're faking it.
1: Uh, I don't know. I mean, you can stick tabaxi wherever you wherever you like because canonically they're not. They're um, not in there originally. Yeah, exactly.
0: yeah. <laughs> the rule is there's a place for everything in D and D in Everon, but you got to find it. It's Argonessen, right? They're only in Argonessen. He's very angry at the dragons. (laughs) Well, who isn't? (laughs) Literally, they're barbarians. They just rage about them. (laughs) All right. uh, Before we wrap up, we want to take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters.
1: Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash total party
0: thrill. And just a reminder, the... Emails have gone out with the free download codes if you were selected as a winner for our giveaway of the Audible um, audiobook version of Mike Shea's Sly Flourish's Guide to Fantastic Locations.
1: You can also read us a five-star review on iTunes,
0: and if you do, we'll read it on the air, just like this one. So this is Recommended, Part of My DM Spellbook by Tigranosaurus. From Australia. From Australia wide variety of content types considered views usable advice and charming hosts what's not to like get into your gm's ears waves appreciatively from australia with uh, an australian flag emoji and a smiley face well three out of four i agree with so charming hosts i'll just i'll leave it for people to decide or considered views those are the the two that stand out All right, what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about Theater of the Mind. And in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the Psychophant. Well, that's it for episode 161 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening.
1: down under is not so good.
0: No, that's backwards. I like the rescuers down under way more than the rescuers. Really? Yeah, get into I that liked, mic because we're recording this, by the way. I like the <laughs> sadness of the rescuers. You're like, oh, wow,
1: this is really dark. Mm. I think that's probably why I
0: didn't like the original. Also, you want to fly on a big, what, kind uh, of bird? Albatross? Albatross. Albatross? Yeah, yeah. With it inside a sardine, a sardine can? Is that... Like, I think, yeah, his, right, because like, they the cover like, is like... <laughs> yeah no but uh, i think that that like 1971 robin hood was probably
1: i mean you can blame robin hood uh the squirrel in the sword and the stone and bianca from the rescuers for uh, the explosion of furries for your over furry the last fetish, decade. Yeah. <laughs> not mine just they're everywhere made marion <laughs> they literally made her a fox yeah a vixen I mean, they, she, she's actually credited as a vixen a vixen yeah yeah